Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Raptures Rapture Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Bassetti. Well, Brian Boak is not joining us here today, but instead we have on Hoop Meg writer Joshua Eberly. Josh, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Um, Joshua, like I said, writes for Hoop Meg, uh, doing a national scope. Joshua, uh, why don't you go ahead and give everybody kind of just a background? Oh, the background. Okay. Um, I went from journalism and uh, actually wanted to, I started doing in print uh, in and around Alberta, and then basketball was kind of always a side project hobby. Um, ended up getting an internship with uh, Dime, went back to school for communications, got an internship with Sportsnet. Those two kind of carried me on to some freelancing gigs, and, you know, after about a half dozen stops, I landed at Hoop as a regular contributor, and I've been there now for about three years. Awesome. Um, can you give the fans kind of a background on your fan base, allegiance, and been a fan of? Yeah, actually, you know, I I grew up a Dallas Mavericks fan, and um, my my mom uh, has always been a flight attendant for as long as I've as I've known her. Um, and she went down to Dallas when I was I don't know six or seven. It was the last year that the Cowboys won the Super Bowl. So I, I want to say it's ninety six or ninety seven. And she brought me home a Dallas Cowboys hoodie and a Dallas Mavericks T-shirt, so that was just laid out nicely for me. And yeah, I was a Dallas Maverick, and I, you know I am still a Dallas Mavericks fan. But covering the league on a whole the last four or five years, it's kind of really drained the fandom out of me a little bit. Uh, Dirk and Vince Carter are my two favorite players ever, but for the most part, I just kind of you know follow the action. I'm always trying to watch the game that's that's garnering the most conversation. So I don't really think. I'm a fan of the Mavericks in the same way that I used to be. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think the more you watch the league and the more 
you try to kind of follow the storylines, the more you get swept in the kind of storylines from season to season and less a overall fan base, if that makes sense. Yeah, to- totally. When I was younger, I hated Tony Parker. Like, I hated <laughs> Tony Parker. When the when the Mavs beat the Spurs in 06 in that semi, that's the most excited I've ever been for a basketball team to win a series. It wasn't the 11 finals against the Heat. It was the 06 semis against the Spurs. And just watching Tony Parker get lit up by Devin Harris was, was like such an amazing experience. But now Kawhi Leonard is one of my favorite players. So I think I think just in general, as you begin to, you know, put that effort and, and that interest in everybody else, it kind of spreads and it's hard to keep that allegiance. That said, with football, I'm definitely still a big Dallas Cowboys homer. So, you know, I kept it a little bit. Yeah. Well, if you're a Kawhi fan, I guess you can start to turn the hate back on Tony Parker. Yeah, so yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah. It all comes full circle. I um, always knew. I always knew. So, obviously, for folks who are your first time listening, this is a Rapture, uh, Raptors podcast, but um, if you didn't figure that out. Um, what were your overall impressions from the Raptors this season and kind of what do you expect from that move? Yeah, like I, I really um, didn't expect this um, is, is the really broad summary in that I felt it was almost the noble thing, you know, how, how Masai approached last offseason, bringing everybody back, giving this a three-year window to make something happen, knowing that something probably wouldn't happen. And, you know what? Not taking anything away from Masai, I don't think he could have predicted this level of growth from the bench. I don't think he he would have predicted at this point this level of buy-in from DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry to run a new system and adapt how they've played. But they have, and you know they're playing really really good basketball. And I I think the way the reason I say noble is the you know prevailing sentiment that I was seeing was hey maybe this Raptors team should blow it up before it's too late and they can't get anything for their assets because they're never beating Cleveland. They're never beating LeBron James, their windows closed. And, you know, while there were fans who didn't, didn't want to blow it up, I felt like on a national scale, people thought the Raptors had kind of topped out. So, you know, Masai bringing everybody back and giving them this chance over this three year period to really come out and play hard and, and, and give this one, this unit one more run before, you know, Casey got fired, they brought in a new coach or they let Lowry Walker or whatever it was, was, was awesome. And I'm, I'm glad it's paid off for them. I'm glad it's paid off for the fans because this has been an amazing season for them. And, uh, you know, there's not a lot of negative, which is pretty rare in an NBA season. Yeah. I think kind of the general consensus when he brought all the players back was, you're not committing too much long-term. You're not signing the four- or five-year deals. And you'll be solid the next couple years. And maybe if LeBron lets you get lucky and get to a finals. But I don't think anybody really expected them to compete and be a possibly 60-win team. I think the thought was to be solid, kind of play this out. Um, I don't think, like you said, I don't think even Masai expected this kind of uh, resurgence from the team and this kind of development. No, and, um, you know, it's... I can't remember. Someone tweeted something last night to the effect of, "Man, that was such." Chris Middleton had a had a poor shot. Had some, has had some poor shot selection at the end of the game, and someone said something about you know how Russell Westbrook, and you know for ten years no one has been able to really shift Russell Westbrook's game. It doesn't matter if he plays with another MVP or other stars or you know role players. He plays the way he plays, and it's great when it's great, and it's terrible when it's terrible. And it's, it's really hard once a guy reaches a star level to change their philosophy, to change the way they play. 
And I just look at DeMar DeRozan and Dwayne Casey this year. And, you know, DeRozan was one of those guys where phenomenal player, but he fell into, you know, a lot of bad isolation, isolation possessions late in games, um, mid range, back to the basket, you know, uh, not a, not a great shot. The ball wasn't moving around. And, and he was in that kind of mold of sometimes this guy detracts from his own offense because he doesn't know when and when not to, you know, put his head down. And that's changed this year. I mean, credit to, to Dwayne Casey and credit to DeMar DeRozan because DeMar was all NBA and, and he got paid and the Raptors were in the playoffs. So it would have been really easy for him to say, no, I know what I'm doing. I'm a star in this league. I played basketball my whole life. This is this is how I'm going to do it. But, I mean, he's really bought in. The Raptors have toned down the isolation immensely. You know, he, he's moving the ball more. He's finding his spots. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's made a conscious effort to add that three-point shot to his game. And I just think that kind of awareness from a player at this point in his career when they've already reached the All-NBA level is really rare and, uh, you know, maybe not talked about enough this season. Yeah, a couple things there. One being, I think Raptors fans now kind of like to run back and hold the receipts of, see, DeMar DeRozan is better than you guys thought this whole time, and all these things, when in reality, it's not giving him his credit for his growth as a player. He's immensely better this year. He's more effective this year, um, both as a distributor and shot selection, like you said. I think that instead of kind of reapplying his game now to past seasons, you should take for granted that he has changed as a player and he has improved. Um, and secondly, I totally agree with the Dwayne Casey comparison as far as getting these guys to play a totally different way. It's one thing to get a team to change their style when you're the Brooklyn Nets and you're terrible and it's, hey, let's play fast because we've been so bad. But for this Raptors team that's had success and a lot of success on the individual level with Kyle and DeMar, to get them to buy in and change the way they're playing is a totally different, totally different deal. Yeah, it, it's huge. And you know what? I, you know what? I, maybe I haven't seen it. Maybe you know Blake or Seerad or, or somebody's written the story, but I, I have not seen the story that's what, what's remarkable about the season isn't how good these guys are, or you know how bad the rest of the conference has been, or or any of that. It's the fact that a team that's won 50 games, what three years in a row. Uh, yeah, okay, this is going to be yeah, the third year in a row. So they won 50-plus games three years in a row. They have two all-stars, completely changed their identity. You just don't see that. And I love the Nets example. It's easy when you've got eight new faces in the locker room every year and four of them are on rookie deals and half of your reserves are trying to make it in this league to get them to buy in because they, they've got nothing else. They don't have a brand. They're not going to all-star games. They don't think they, you know, have got that talent. This team has got – I mean, they went to the conference finals a couple of years ago. For the team to completely buy in, you know, and, and you you got those articles when, when the Raptors fell apart last year. Like, Dwayne Casey's lost the team. You know, Dwayne Casey's got to go. And and there was that buzz. But he came back and everybody bought in. And I, I honestly, I think that's the story of the year for the Raptors. Even over the bench play, which has been amazing, it's the fact that this veteran team, you know, Serge Ibaka, who's been in this league a long time, who, you know, his comments a couple weeks ago about, wow, like, you know, the ball actually moves. Like, you know, in Oklahoma City – you did something wrong. You didn't see the ball the rest of the night. And I, I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember the exact quote. But, you know, in Toronto, these guys trust you and, and they continue to move the ball around. I mean, that's a great story. Like, it, it's, it's awesome that a veteran team has bought into that degree. Yeah. And Jonas Valanciunas is another example of a guy that had his game kind of eroding out of the modern NBA and the way he's playing. Instead of 
instead of just allowing that to happen and moving on to Jakob Pertl, the Raptors coaching staff worked, evolved his game, and made him a more offensive threat. And I think that JV is given a lot of credit, which he should, for adapting his game. But some has to be given to the coaching staff for finding different ways to use him and kind of helping change into this new player. Yeah, the, the JV's growth has been awesome, too. And, I mean, I think a lot of fans can do the whole victim mentality where, like, people didn't believe in us. And I think you see that from Raptors fans a lot at American Outlets. Like, no one oh, yeah, they takes do. us seriously. Yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a thing. A lot of fans have a victim. But with the Toronto Raptors, you know, people were calling for Casey's head. DeRozan wasn't getting a lot of respect league-wide. His team wasn't thought of as a contender before the season. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas was someone that was seen as a dinosaur big who didn't really fit in this league. And it's all come together. So I, I, I think for that reason alone, you know, regardless of what happens in this postseason, I, I really hope that the Raptors fans remember this regular season and enjoy this regular season because it was special. And I, I don't think the Raptors were neglected per se at a national level, but I've never seen them get the coverage and the buzz that they got in March and February of this year ever. I mean, there has been an awful lot of positive, friendly hype and buzz and articles written about these guys the last couple months. Yeah, um, someone who is obviously pretty involved in Raptors Twitter, at time it can be frustrating and kind of annoying to hear the martyrs complain that how they get no coverage, but some of it is true. But you mentioned the postseason, and that's kind of the 5,000-pound elephant in the room. What do you put the Raptors' chances of getting out east at this season? Yeah, like, <laughs> I have to put, do I, am I putting a hypothetical percentage on it? Yeah, I think that's better than the binary, who would you pick to get out of the east? Just kind of, what do you think their chances okay. are, I think is a little bit better of a model. Yeah, you know what, I, I want to say uh, 33%. Okay. And um, it sucks because I want to, you know, it's not even that I'm Canadian. It's not even that I have some sort of special feelings for the Raptors. I would love to see New Blood. Like I would love to see Toronto-Houston series. And I would love the narrative that came with Toronto clubbing Cleveland and Houston clubbing Golden State. And just what that would do for the NBA and like two underdogs actually, you know, delivering and smacking the favorites out of there. But um, I just, you know, you the other game against against Cleveland, they don't have Larry Nance, uh, who I think is going to be so key for Cleveland in the playoffs. And LeBron just, you know, there's two ways of looking at that game a couple weeks ago. You know, LeBron goes super sane and has this otherworldly line where it was like 35-7, 17 assists, no turnovers, and they just barely beat Toronto. Or, uh, you know, which, which is kind of optimistic for Toronto, or it's, Cleveland was banged up. You had five guys score 15 or more points. You played your game, and you still lost because LeBron is not not mortal. And, you know, I, I just I think the Raptors have played a better brand of basketball. I believe Casey when he says, hey, why would we take away what we've done well all year? We're going to use our depth as an advantage in the playoffs. And I want to believe it. I just – they've left a bad taste in your mouth. And as much as people want to – you know, the, the choking narrative – is often overblown, but I, I, I read an article on Nylon Calculus last year where DeRozan and Lowry are both in the top 50 all-time in terms of regular season to postseason true, true shooting percentage drops, and it's, it is worrisome that this has happened a few times, and I I just, you know, the, the LeBron factor and the fact that you don't have this faith due to history, it's, it's tough to overcome. So I, I definitely think the Raptors have a chance, I, I definitely think 
if Cleveland is sleeping or somebody's hurt or the Raptors are completely and utterly focused and, and don't have that regular playoff dip that they seem to find, uh, they could get through. But I, I still would have a hard time betting against LeBron, you know, so long as he's breathing. <laughs> I totally understand. I think some of the playoff stuff is warranted. You hear Raptors fans argue lots of times that they haven't lost a series which they weren't expected to lose, which is fair, um, obviously losing to Cleveland so many times. But you have seen those seven-game series with the Indiana Pacers, and, I mean, that, that doesn't inspire faith in the team, and you've never actually pushed this Cavaliers team. Um, to your point with the matchup with the Cavs, which I think much everyone looks at as the big matchup of the Eastern Conference, I think the Raptors are a better team than the Cavaliers, but I also think they're an incredibly piece of Cavs because you don't have that guy who can guard LeBron I think when Kevin Love moves to center, make JV play outside on the uh, LeBron Love pick and pop, it just, I think the Cavaliers present a lot of (coughs) nightmares for the Raptors, which it's kind of odd that they weren't built more specifically to stop LeBron, knowing that he was the guy you had to get through. Yeah, and and, and that's that's the detriment to, to, you know, building the team that they did, which is, you know, putting the faith in the guys that they had, knowing that, you know, LeBron tape them and it, you know it's the it's the seven games against the miami team that really didn't warrant it. it's the seven games against the indiana team that really didn't warrant it it's the fact that they dropped that first game to the bucks last year in such you know humiliating fashion and then what followed it up with another just crazy loss in game three so twice in the series you know they fell behind against a team that you know yes they went on to win but they really should have taken care of in a lot more timely manner it, you know there's stuff that worries you and i'm not I don't think they're, you know, choke artists and that's in their DNA and they can't get over it. But, you know, the mental hurdles that they're going to have to go through do exist. And I, and I do worry. And like you said, you know, you know, they brought in the PJ Tucker last year and he was supposed to be the LeBron stopper. And anytime you say that word, you're inviting <laughs> bad things to your presence, but it didn't work. And I, I think the Raptors are going to have to win in strength of numbers and accept that LeBron is going to club them. And the difference this year on the positive spin for the Raptors is in, in years past, um, LeBron clubs them anyway, but then Kyrie gets his own. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyrie's not there. So, you know, like, yes, George Hill's a nice player. Clarkson, Nance, Love, you know, they've got some guys around them that can do some positive things. I think Rodney Hood's going to find his way on this team. But, you know, if, if you allow LeBron to beat the hell out of you, but you stop everyone else, I do think there's – I think the contributions that the Raptors have got from eight deep this year – is more sustainable than what the Cle- than what Cleveland has got from everybody else, not named LeBron. And I don't think LeBron in year 15 in the conference finals, hopefully, is uh, is going to club you with 35, 7, 17 no turnovers every night. So I think they've got a chance, but they, you know, LeBron is going to beat them up no matter what. So this team isn't built to stop LeBron. They don't have the long, quick, big framed wings to, to make things hard for him, unfortunately. But yeah, that they're going to have to face that. And honestly, the only the only other hurdle is, you know what, I look at Philadelphia in that four seed, and with Joel Embiid out, they're probably going to fall out. But if Joel, if they hold that 4-5 matchup and Joel Embiid comes back and the Raptors play the Sixers in the second round, that would worry me a little bit as a Toronto fan too. I would really like to avoid Philadelphia if I was either Toronto or Cleveland, to be honest. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, and probably a good time here to transition to talk about the Eastern Conference as a whole and teams that worry you besides the Raptors and Cavaliers. Um, I totally agree with you on the 76ers. That team is huge. 
their starting lineup is insanely effective. This new starting lineup where they run Dario, Simmons, and Embiid all out there. Um, if Embiid is healthy, and I have no reason to believe, you know, it's a face injury. It's not like previous injuries he's dealt with. Um, he gets to play every game. He probably gets to play more minutes than he's played so far this regular season. And that team, because they're so big and because they're so good defensively, they really worry me. Yeah, and I, you know what? They have they have the best starting five in the Eastern Conference. You know, statistically they do. And they're the most consistent starting five. And they just have the most firepower in that unit. And, and you know, traditional knowledge would say that the teams that tighten their rotation and rely more on their starters seem to do well in the playoffs. And, you know, what? like if Embiid misses part of the first-round series, maybe Indiana or Washington or whoever they end up playing there beats them, and that's who you're looking at in the second round. But if Philadelphia survives and Embiid's back, because I, I can't see him missing any more than the first round with the orbital bone, um, that's a really tough matchup, you know, and, and – you know, you mentioned LeBron being tough. Like Joel Embiid drawing out Jonas. Jonas is not not ideal either. And Ben Simmons is is a handful. I mean, Kyle Lowry's a good defender and he's a strong guy, but he's given up a lot of size to Ben Simmons. And yeah, you know, like Fultz coming in is you know at this point in the season, uh, the the playmaking that he's given that second unit in a couple games. That's another thing. Like uh, this is this is a year where a really young, hungry, talented team. Could really punch you in the nose if you're not paying attention. I think if Philly's right and Embiid's right there, are definitely my dark horse in, in the conference. Yeah, they they seem like the team that could get there a year earlier than expected, like those Cavaliers teams that or the Cavalier team that beat the Pistons and played the Spurs in the finals. Um, they kind of seem like that team that might take a jump before you even expect, which is crazy when you consider kind of just how young they are, and you basically have Embiid playing his first full season and Simmons playing his first full season. Those are your two best players, and they're, I know Embiid is not technically a rookie, but they're both guys that have not played a full season before. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. It is. And I I, I do think we kind of overplay into their youth, because when you think about it, Embiid has been in an NBA program for four years now, yeah. Simmons too. And the, you know what? They did add some veterans. I, yeah, Fultz is young. But Reddick's been around this league. He knows what he's doing. You know, Robert Covington's been around this league. He fought his way up from the D League. You know, he's a survivor. Dario Saric is playing against men. Ursan Ilyasova and Marco Bellinelli have been in this league. So I don't think they're as young as we think they are. And they're, you know what? They just have the talent. And they have, you know, Embiid and Simmons are both just matchup problems due to size and strength. And, you know, that youth could be a factor for, you know, unfortunately, too, which doesn't get mentioned enough. Lowry's health has been kind of a constant concern come the postseason. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not always just this, you know, mental issues or choking or whatever. It, you know, he's been banged up. And so you kind of wonder if Philadelphia is healthy and they've got that youth and that extra energy, if that couldn't be a factor too. So I, I do really worry about Philadelphia for either of Cleveland or, or Toronto. In an ideal world, maybe they would fall to six and uh, it wouldn't be Toronto's, Toronto's issue. But, uh, yeah, we'll watch, we'll have to wait and see. Well, going to the Kyle Lowry thing, you said he has been banged up, which is true. But he also had – last season he was second in the league in minutes, and this season he's not in the top 40. So I think that will help him kind of moving forward and helping keep him fresh, um, especially with how much the bench has been and how well they've been playing. Um, that's awesome. At, I didn't I didn't know his, I didn't know his minutes had been reduced to that extent. That's, that's, that's awesome. Again, another feather in Casey's cap. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, totally – switched around and evolved and noticed I think how 
beat up Lowry was, he's playing less than ever. And, I mean, it helps when you have Fred Van who's one of the top backup point guards, and DeLon Wright, who could probably be the top backup point guards as well. Um, looking at the standings now, it appears that kind of the top five have separated from themselves. Uh, the Wizards sit three and a half back of the Pacers, so I don't think they really have an opportunity to grab that five spot. Um, so that really puts in place the Bucks, Heat, and Wizards for that last eight spot. If you were the Raptors, which team would you want to face the most, and which team would you want to face the least? Um, I definitely want the Heat. Uh, give me Miami 100%. I know Wade has had some moments against the Raptors. I know they had that hard-fought seven-game series. And this is, you know, looking actually a very similar team. But um, I don't want the Wizards. You know, the, the the Raptors have also had issues with the John Wall, Brad Beal backcourt in years past. And I think the Wizards are better than they've looked the last month. You know, they, they completely have had to change their identity with that wall. And then it was working early on. And then things started to fall apart. But if they add Wall back, and, you know, I, I just don't want to go into this team, that this Washington team that's angry, Wall's, you know, away from all the headlines while he was out. Uh, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want Washington. I think I'd go Miami, Milwaukee, Washington, that order. I've been waiting all year for Milwaukee to turn it around. Um, they have the talent. Chris Middleton, uh, Eric Bledsoe, Giannis, and Tedekumpo, you know, Brogdon when he gets back. This is Jabari Parker who's now back. This is a talented team who has just completely been completely underwhelming. So I, it's hard for me to believe, you know, at 76 games into the season that that switch is finally going to get flipped. I don't see it. So, yeah, Miami 1, Milwaukee 2, Washington 3. I would agree with you on Miami. Um, to me, they have kind of this island of misfit toys, which works during the regular season of guys who are scrappy and fight and have kind of unconventional games like James Johnson, Kelly Olynyk, those guys you just kind of don't see on other rosters as much or just a little more unique, certainly not all together like them. But I think in the postseason, their lack of a true like guy that can get you a bucket hurts them. And, yeah. I, and I think like missing Deion Waiters hurts them, but I also just think that part of their regular season success is based on Coach Spolstra kind of outworking guys in the regular season and working his advantage. I think some of those... Some of those advantages go away during the postseason. Um, I, on the other hand, would rather face the Wizards and the Bucks just based on the fact that um, when Giannis plays for the Bucks, they're unbelievable. And I think when the playoffs come and you can crank him up 45 minutes a day, a night, and you don't have to worry as much about those where he's not on the court, I think that it can really scare an Eastern Conference team because. Um, Looking at his on-off numbers, I looked at them the other day. Oh yeah, they're um, pretty. <laughs> when when he plays, the Bucks have something like it would rank uh, fifth or sixth in the NBA in net rating, which is just absolutely insane. I think they're like minus eight point five net rating when he sits. Um, so when you crank him up to forty-five minutes, I think it's really scary for teams. And obviously, the Raptors don't have a guy who the remote ability to stop. No. And, and, and I respect that, and I get that. And you never want to not have the best player in the series, but the Raptors are going to be that team who doesn't have the best player in the series, you know, possibly often. Um, and and I think, you know what, Giannis would probably terrorize the Raptors in similar fashion to LeBron, and he would be scary, and it would be very Raptors if they lost the first game of a 1-8 series to the Bucks with Giannis, <laughs> and, I, and it, everyone panics. I don't know what the streak is on the first games, but it's something insane, the amount of first game series they lost. I think it's like, I, it's over five, I'm going to look, I'll look it up right now, but yeah, the amount of game ones they've lost in the playoffs, the streak is unbelievable. 
Yeah, and, and I, I mean, I get it, but also this Milwaukee team has just sucked. It, it just it yeah. doesn't make sense because they – you know what? You get Eric Bledsoe out there, and I, I said from the moment they made that trade, Bledsoe needs to come off the bench. He would be awesome on the second unit when he was the sole focus of that team, but he doesn't allow shooting for Giannis. He takes the ball out of his hands. Chris Middleton's game has really become – you know, he's become a lot more of a mid-range. Uh, he wants the ball – on the elbow or in the post with his back to the basket to operate kind of guy too, where, you know what, what the Bucks need him to be is, is follow the Clay Thompson model and be active off ball and, and catch and shoot. But he, he's really taking a lot more of the possessions than I thought this year. And, and I, they just, they haven't played well. They haven't figured it out. And yes, I guess like Giannis being the, you know, second best player in the Eastern conference playoffs is not ideal, but I, I just think, they're in such a state of flux. And also there's this, this Giannis injury news that, you know, he's fighting through some things. So, um, yeah, I, I could argue either side of the Washington-Milwaukee thing. I just think when Wall gets back, this actually is a Washington team with a fair amount of talent. And, uh, you know, they've hit their, they've heard the Raptors' hearts before. Yeah, yeah. I, I get what you're saying with Milwaukee sucking. It just it feels like they should be better than they are. And you look at the pieces and you think that that team should be um, kind of up in the upper echelon of the East. And like you said, they just don't execute. And their defense is frustrating because there's no reason that's that long, that athletic should be bad on defense. And I, I really just don't get it. Um, yeah, I, I could understand the Wizards, especially when they've been good in the playoffs. And um, John Wall, when he gets dialed in, is a whole other level. And they have the only backcourt that's possibly better than the Raptors in the Eastern Conference because Bradley Beal's a player too. go off any given game. Yeah, and I really like Beal. I think Beal's taking a huge step forward this year. Um, Mike Mendelton, I think he is more of a catch-and-shoot guy, but uh, he's really expanded their game this year. He's ran the offense for them. He He's found other ways to contribute, and I, I think Beal's a really good player. I do think there's an opportunity for the Wizards to spiral miserably like Wall gets back. The team doesn't receive him. They don't want to watch him dribble and stand in the you know corner out of the way mm-hmm. while they do everything else. So maybe I mean there's an opportunity for things to go badly there. Uh, they are certainly one of the more talkative teams in the league. But uh, I just think if everything goes right for the Wizards too, that's a that's a lot more talented team than an eight seed if if they're healthy and right all year. Yeah, and I think there's a chance of things going bad. But I when you're pl- talking about a one eight matchup, a high variance favors the eight seed rather than the one seed. So that's something to kind of be wary of. Um, Looking back at that Raptor stat that I mentioned, they have lost their last nine, six of which came at home. So not their last nine. Yeah. They, they are one and 11 all time in game one. They've lost last nine, (laughs) their last nine, which is amazing. They even win series if you're right. Oh yeah. And, and uh, what is the, how many of those were the, the higher seed Uh, of those last nine? It says, Six. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that is like really depressing. You you guys <laughs> gotta tweet that out after because I didn't realize it was to that extent. I I would have guessed if you if you if that was a trivia question that you gave me over the KC era, how many of their last you know how many we lost in a row? I would have guessed like four. Yeah. I didn't realize it was to that extent. Nine. Wow. <laughs> um. <laughs> and. and if the Raptors do get the heat, the one thing that will be interesting to watch is I, if the Raptors get the heat, it's almost certainly going to be an NBA TV game, I think. I think. Yeah. And watching Toronto fans complain once they get another NBA TV matchup when they're the one seed, 
I mean, it's on Twitter. I'm going to have to log off for a couple days. Yeah, it's going to be that. You know what? The thing, Miami is not fun to watch play basketball this year either. So, I mean, you try to tell Raptors fans to not take it to the heart. I know they won't listen to you, but <laughs> this is a team where, like, you know, I like Kelly Olynyk, like, I, good old Canadian boy. Like, do your thing, man. Uh, and uh, James Johnson is fun, and, and Goran Dragic is fun, but. On a whole, like nobody wants to watch a, a Tyler Johnson, Josh Richardson, James Johnson, Bam Adebayo unit. You know, like it, yeah. they just, like you said, they are scrappy and they have a huge rotation and they don't have any star player. They don't have anyone in the MVP conversation. They signed Whiteside to that mega deal and they're not even sure he's going to be part of their future plans. So it's a team in flux that the Raptors are expected to to just throttle if they do get them. However, you know, you want to get it on ESPN, Raptors drop the first two, and I'm sure people will start paying attention. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what they should do. Just lose a couple games. Just lose a couple, yeah. Get, yeah. Them in, get everybody interested. Um, yeah, Goran Dragic, I think, got an all-star bid after a couple injuries, and it felt more of a reward for the Heat in general than his indoor play. Um, yeah, it did. So, um, if you said Philadelphia scares you the most to get out of the East, uh besides Cleveland and Toronto. Uh, are the Celtics your fourth choice then, I would assume? Yeah, you know what? Um, I don't know. You know what? What, what is going on with Kyrie? You know, is, yeah. is he going to be right? Because, you know, if they get Miami, they're probably going in the second round. But if they get Milwaukee or Washington at this point, um, and Kyrie's not there or, or he misses part of the series or he's not right, I, I think I would lean Washington or Milwaukee in a series. And... Brad Stevens has been amazing. You know, Brad Stevens has done an amazing coaching job this year. They continue to just win games that make no sense for them to win behind efforts from like Terry Rozier and Marcus Morris. And it's it's baffling. But I don't think that's going to continue in the playoffs if Kyrie isn't right because Smart is also likely missing time. Tice is out. You know, this rotation has been torn to shreds. And they, they were already overachieving. You know, when, when Tyson, Smart, and Irving were there, I think they were already punching above their weight due to the prepared nature of Stevens and the system he's put in place. But with those, without those guys, I, I, you know, I think a healthy Washington team scares me more than a Boston team if Kyrie's not right at this point. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Um, if Kyrie can't play that team, I mean, it's surprising they won all these games when Kyrie's went to the bench so far this year. Like, as a whole, they haven't been very good. It's just they don't have a guy. Al Horford's a great player, but he's more of a mold into whatever you need player. He's not a guy who gets you a bucket, and they just don't have that guy who can consistently score with, I mean, their two best offensive players out. So it will be interesting to see. Brad Stevens can do the smoke and mirrors almost better than anyone, but once you get to the playoffs, I think it's hard to do that when the team, you don't, get to rely on coaching quite as much, I think, in the playoffs because both coaches have time to prepare and yeah. it kind of levels the play. So, yeah, you take that time away and then you tighten the rotations and you slow the game down. And so when you slow the game down, Kyrie is one of those guys where he can just make something out of nothing at any, at any given time. And that's when it hurts because, you know, Marcus Morris and Terry Rozier have done some really good things for them the last couple of weeks. But... You really don't want to lean on Marcus Morris and Terry Rozier in, you know, game five on, or I guess what would it be game four on the road because they're just not that player. And, you know, I, I think Kyrie Irving has been trivialized a little bit by the, the Celtics success without him. And I'm, I'm not a believer in that Ky- Kyrie's an MVP type player. 
but he's a very, very good player, and his bread and butter of, you know, finding a basket when you need a basket is something that should be highly sought after come the playoffs. And I just don't think the Boston's replacing that, regardless of Brad Stevens. Yeah, um, you you think late in a possession, seven seconds, we got to get an ISO score. I don't know who you go to if you're the Celtics. Do you go to Tatum, who's a rookie, or do you go to Terry Rozier? I just, it's going to, I think it will be difficult for them once the playoffs come, not to discount anything they've done this season, obviously shorthanded. Um, the the, the other thing for them, though, is that the urgency isn't there. Like, if I'm Boston and I lose in the first round, I don't even take that to heart. You know, we were banged up. We were young. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are ahead of schedule. Uh, we we have moves to make still here. The urgency is not there for them, too, which I, which is good. I think if you're a Celtics fan, you, it shouldn't kill you if you, if you drop in the first round this year because it's about the future. But I think it also works against them as a team where they know that this isn't the year that they're expected to win and they have plenty of excuses not to, whereas the Raptors, like, this is your window. We don't know where LeBron – if LeBron goes to Philadelphia next year, then uh-oh, right? Like, and the conference instantly closes again. If you're the Raptors, like, it's got to – that urgency, that this, the heat under that seat has got to be there because this this is the best chance that you could foreseeably have ever um, – with this, not even just with this unit for for you know years and years to come, as, as Philadelphia and Boston are on the rise, and hopefully Milwaukee in the near future. So I, I think the urgency factor works against Boston a little bit, where they're not feeling the need or the pressure to to take a run that I think Toronto will. Um, yeah, I think when you noticed that the Celtics didn't make a move at the trade deadline and instead decided to keep their assets and wait. For next year, I think that kind of spoke volumes about the team and what their plans were going forward. Um, I I think they're just playing with house money, like you said, and the expectations aren't there. For the Western Conference, wh- what do you think the chances are that the Warriors kind of end up as the team that if the Raptors did make the finals, that would be the team they're playing? Um, what do you think the chances now with obviously their injuries and everything like that um what do you think the chances are of the warriors making the finals and what do you think rockets chances are yeah i would if i say if i would give hey, one the, second, Josh. uh did you move or something you sound kind of your audio kind of oh uh this sound better uh try it again uh what about now okay that's better uh, if, if i would give the raptors 33 percent, i'd give the rockets 25 percent um I think the Warriors aren't going to have any issues with Utah or New Orleans, even with Curry dinged up. And then at that point, it, I, you know what? Health is health is the X factor there. If, if Curry's not right and, or play or, or something, there's an injury, then the Raptor or the Rockets' chances increase substantially. But until that happens, I still think the Warriors have four All Stars for a reason. I mean, Chris Paul played like an All Star this year, but he wasn't. So I mean, they still have the Rockets four to one All Stars. This is a team that's won more games in history than anybody over a four-year period. It's just incredibly hard to bet against them if they're if they're right. As we kind of wrap up here, Josh, I wanted to just talk about the end of year awards. Um, I'm not sure how much thought and how finalized your ballots are for things, um, and kind of the Raptors end of it. You have Demar Derozan on your MVP ballot at all? Obviously, I don't think a serious contender for it. But do you have him maybe in that fifth spot? Uh, you know, it depends. I really wish the league would qualify this. Um, you need X amount of games to qualify for an award because Steph Curry has just been flat out better than DeMar. 
and Steph Curry's team um, is built around him and is more reliant on Steph than the Raptors are on Lamar. I, I have if Curry is going to be like if we're if we're still putting Curry on the ballot if he's still All NBA then Curry gets that fifth spot for me over DeRozan. Mm-hmm. If we're saying he hasn't played enough games and that's kind of the league wide acknowledgement then DeRozan gets that fifth spot for me. But I I would have it today as as Harden one, Davis two, LeBron three, Lillard four, and then Curry or DeRozan five. Yeah, um, I actually have a almost exact bracket or uh, MVP races you, I I would go with the same top four you have. I actually have Giannis in the fifth spot, but I think it's a fascinating point you said about the how many game threshold because I think that will really factor in to DeMar's uh, All-NBA factor and what you give him. I think he's probably second-team All-NBA pretty securely, but if fans decide to vote or I'm not fan, if media members decide to vote Curry in, I think there is even a chance he slips to third team all NBA. Yeah, and, and and I mean the NBA really should should decide here because it's tough and voters don't know what to do with it. So you know sorry, for all NBA especially, you know, Curry's been the second best guard in the NBA this year behind only Harden. So he should be on that first team if we're voting for him. But if we're not voting for him then he shouldn't even be on the team. Like it, it's just why would you bump? A, I, I don't understand that. Like, why would you bump a guy to third for missing time when it's simply who was the best in the league, rather than like who gave him? I don't know. You know, what, it, part of the discussion that makes it fun is how open it is, but also it leads to some like awkward trickiness as well. Yeah, I I wish the NBA would say you have to play sixty games to make an All NBA team, or I don't know if sixty is a number, but some threshold where it kind of took the thought processing out. Because I think you have some people who will leave Curry off their uh, ballot totally. Some people that will act like it doesn't matter. And then you'll have others who kind of discount him to maybe second or third team from it. So it just seems like a weird way to go about it and how to let everybody legislate it themselves. Yeah, and, and honestly, with the MVP this year, it's been kind of it's, – it's kind of been more interesting to talk about the bottom and the top because I think Harden's been out in front for a long time, but – with DeRozan, there was such a great case for a while, and he put up some really good numbers for a while. But the fact that the bench is just doing so well, and, you know, they've really got contributions where everyone kind of hurts his case. Whereas, like, a guy like Lillard, who, you know, he's putting up the 40 and 51 games all the way down the stretch, and, you know, they need him to go off. It, it just, with, with Giannis, too, I wanted, earlier in the year, I wanted Giannis to win this award. Like, I, I thought early in the year his play, the, the argument of if you take this guy off the team, how do they fare? No one does worse in the NBA than the Bucks with that Giannis. Like mm-hmm. that net rating is the proof. But just his team playing underachieving to the level that they are is still so so tough to get over for me. Yeah, I I totally understand. It's hard to even put a guy whose team is in the A spot in the East on your ballot. I I get that. Um, yeah. Earlier you talked about Coach Casey and the job you think he's done. Uh, do you? Would you consider him your coach of the year this season, or would you give it to you know a guy like Brad Stevens, who's also kind of using band aids to become one of the best teams in the league? Yeah, you know what? I feel grimy about it. Um, Canadians are really angry at me, but I think <laughs> I'd vote for Stevens. And Casey's done an amazing job, and he, he's totally deserving of it as well. I also think Nate McMillan and Terry Stotts Stotts deserve a look, but I, I would have uh, Stevens one and Casey two, and it's just you know what. The, the Raptors changing identity is, is huge for me, and I, I, that would be enough for me to vote for him. But 
these wins, like, you know, you lose Hayward night one. You immediately have to go to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum as your, as your starting wings, year one and year two players. And they, they've just, again, like, they've overachieved. Like, how does this team, with all the injuries that they've had, have 52 wins? And they've got these wins against, like, the Rockets and, and teams where, the, you know, where they had guys out. And he's just a magician. On a nightly basis, I just don't understand. I'm often baffled by by Boston wins this year, and I think that would be the tiebreaker for me. You know, like Toronto came out and they established themselves as a power immediately, and they've been great. And, you know, they've never really faltered, and they don't take their foot off the gas, and they've, they've been a good team. Boston, where, you know, uh, the six and a half, they're six and a half point dogs on the road, and they're winning these games without Kyrie or without Horford or without Smart in year. They've already lost Taylor for the year, and it's just, I, I'm kind of in awe of Stevens and I have a hard time going against them this year. Yeah, I I think like you said, Stotts, McMillan, um, I'd probably throw D'Antoni and Quinn Snyder are also kind of like other candidates, but I think it's pretty much a two man race at this point between Casey and Stevens just due to their job and the way they've been able to propel these teams to the top of the Eastern Conference. Um yeah, so I totally agree with you there and understand your points. Um last thing here, Josh, is there anything that you are looking forward to kind of down the stretch of the NBA season that you think Raptors fans should take a look on kind of beyond the scope of theirs? Um, down the, the edge of the season here, uh, just the Western Conference playoff race, I guess. You know, it's, it's been a battle all year, and the East has been wrapped up for what feels like a month now, but the but the West is just such a dogfight still. And, uh, you know, we talked about Milwaukee a lot this, this episode and how they've underachieved, and I just look at that Denver team, you know, saying – Sitting in the 10th seat at the moment, and it's unbelievable. They have so much talent. Jamal Murray's taking a huge step forward. Gary Harris, Nikola Jokic, and they're still in that 10th seat. They had a Paul Millsap. I know he missed a lot of time. Really, really disappointing. Um, you know, it might be what it is with New Orleans in the 8th seat and Utah in the 7th seat, but, you know, you never know. So uh, I think just watching how that shakes out and who gets who. Because also, you know, if the Warriors don't have Curry for the, the first round, I think there is some interest maybe from a team like Oklahoma City or Minnesota to get them there. You know, you're going to have to play them anyway. Wouldn't you rather play the Warriors without Steph round one than, say, Houston? So, you know, I I think that's interesting. And Minnesota, hopefully getting Jimmy Butler back here soon. Minnesota versus Golden State with no Curry could be potentially an interesting series. Yeah, and the the Timberwolves have looked – I mean, they've looked really bad of late. I watched the game they blew with Memphis – and yeah, they they just squeaked out a win versus another tanking team here recently. So I think there's no telling where they're going to end up. And like you said, the Nuggets team, man, I if you would have told me Jamal Murray takes a step and Gary Harris takes another step, it shouldn't matter whether you had Paul Millsap at all. This team should be – and Trey Lyles has taken a step as well. I, I don't understand where the disconnect is for this team. And I know its defense is not great, but, man, it, it feels like they should be a playoff team and them sitting at the 10 spot, like you said, is just disappointing. Yeah, it's really disappointing. It's super disheartening. And I think if you're Denver, honestly, you should be looking at a coaching change um, sooner rather than later. And I, and I think they will, especially, I mean, maybe not if they make the playoffs, but if they don't make the playoffs, I think that's kind of the next step for that team. Yeah, well, even if you make the playoffs, though, I mean, they're, I think they're 0-3 versus Houston this year. Houston has absolutely just spanked Denver. Right. Um, this, this team has more talent than the 8th seed. You're telling me the Pelicans, who lost to Marcus Cousins, um, have more <laughs> talent than you? I, I don't think so. And 
you know, Will Barton is a guy who, when he's on the bench, he's in the sixth man of the year conversation too. Wilson Chandler's played some rejuvenated basketball. That that team is way too good to play the way they have. But you know what? Malone has really messed around and tinkered with some weird rotations over the last three years that have been super irritating to me as a basketball fan who wants to see Jamal Thurry, Jamal Murray live his best life. So yeah, yeah let's get him out of here. <laughs> yeah. Uh... I, I agree, and to be clear, I don't think it should matter whether he makes a playoffs. I mean, you're talking about whether you think a coach is good or not, whether how a couple game, games break at the end of the season. I just think that will have a big impact ultimately on whether he does get his job back. Um, Josh, it's been awesome talking to you guys. Uh, read his stuff, hoop.nba.com, right? Is that correct, I think? Yes, sir. Okay, read his stuff, Hoop Meg, follow him. Is it Joshua Everly or Josh Everly? Josh Everly. And do you got anything that's coming out? Go ahead, plug any stuff that you got. Yeah, so we, we started an official podcast uh, a few weeks ago. Usually do the episodes on Tuesday nights, and uh, I've got another one coming out this Tuesday night. Awesome. Like I said, guys, give him a follow on Twitter. Follow his stuff on hoop.mba.com. Josh, thank you so much. Oh, thank Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.